Hi, everyone. My name is Kurt Bachman, and welcome back to The Ultimate Dish. In today's episode, we're speaking with El Simone Scott, a culinary maverick and highly sought-after food stylist, culinary producer, and test cook. Elle has collaborated and contributed her unique styling abilities to the Food Network, Food Network Magazine, The Cooking Channel, The Katie Couric Show, CBS Corporation, ABC's The Chew, and Bravo's Chef Robo & Company. She is the founder and CEO of SheChef, a professional networking organization for women chefs and allies of color. And she is also the first African-American woman to serve as the resident food stylist and test cook on America's Test Kitchen on PBS. Join us today as we chat with Elle about her passion for food, mentoring, and forging a thriving career after surviving ovarian cancer. Chef L, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Absolutely. It looks sunny there. It looks sunny in Boston. <laughs> it's really a nice day. We're kind of getting that, that layover of warm fall. So I'm not complaining. Nice. Nice. Yeah. The, the, the weather's beautiful in Boulder, Boulder, Colorado. We have had no snow in Boulder or Denver. Um, Isn't so that like a worried. record? Yeah, it, it is a record. It is a record. There, there has never been a November where there was no measurable snow in Denver. Wow. So ski areas are nervous. Yeah, I can imagine. But we're I driving. We're driving to work in in, in a much easier fashion than <laughs> so. Um, travel. Talk about travel a little bit. You were just on the other side of the world, weren't you? Yes. Yes. Um, I had the distinct pleasure of getting to go to Africa uh, for about a little over two weeks. Wonderful. Um, wow. It was, yeah, it was very beautiful. I mean, it's unlike any experience I've ever had. I mean, as an African-American taking a, a trip to the motherland, you know, is um, it's a really big deal. You know, it was quite a pilgrimage. It was not just like um, physical, right? Physically going, but mentally, sure, emotionally, it was everything. And for our audience, that's Remy in the back that's rooting around a little bit. Uh, your beautiful puppy. So yeah, <laughs> your big, beautiful puppy. My big, beautiful puppy. She does not want to keep the bone on the rug right now. We talked about <laughs> why, this why before I started. She? Why would she? I know. So was the COVID protocol pretty intense in terms? Of, it's probably what, two or three flights to get all the way over there? Um, there were two flights. I took a flight from Boston to Atlanta and Atlanta has a connecting flight to Nigeria. It was very basic, a 72 okay. hour COVID test. Uh, you had to have proof of vaccination. I'm fully vaxxed. So it was relatively easy. It started to get a little bit more complicated upon my return because the new strain um, sure. had, had been discovered. And so things were just starting to tighten up, like right after I got back, probably a day or two after I got back, they changed the restriction from 72 hours to 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. So I was able to fly under the radar, but COVID tested both coming and going, no problems, had a wonderful time, felt safe. And did you go over with friends? I did. I did. Actually, it was a spiritual retreat of sorts, you know, a lot of meditation, um, yoga, clean eating. It was just what the doctor ordered right before the holiday starts. Absolutely. Are you ready for the holidays, by the way? I'm never ready for the holidays. Okay, there it's you just, go. It's good, a lot good. of a lot of prep. <laughs> I, I would have been disappointed if you were. I, I love that you say clean eating. That is a theme today, isn't it? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, depending on where you are in the world, it's really not a whole lifestyle. I mean, it is, but it isn't right. Like, I feel like here in the U.S., we we have to make the conscious decision and effort to eat more clean when in other countries like their food every day comes straight from the ground. Like you go to the market, the food has come from the farm. You take the food to your house and then you cook it. Right. Like it's kind of like an organic no pun intended, farm to table experience. Yeah. And it's getting better here in the States. It's it's getting better, especially here, like at Escoffier, the culinary school, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to emphasize encouraging students to know where Mm -hmm. their food comes from. Right. So, so first and foremost, many, many, many thanks for, for serving as our keynote speaker as as recently as yesterday <laughs> when Escoffier graduated over 2,000 students. So everyone hung on your every word. They were very inspiring. And during your speech, you talk about a recipe for success. So my first question is, and I think I know the answer, but do you think that having a plan, a recipe for success is important, particularly for young culinarians versus just waiting to see what happens, which so many young people like to do today, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that having some idea of what you want to do with your future is helpful, right? I feel like you need to have it completely mapped out step by step, day by day. No, I think there's, there's room, right, for having a guide for your goals and having experiences that happen organically, right? Like some of the best parts of my career were those times where I stumbled upon an opportunity and I just said, yes, even if it wasn't directly related to what I thought my immediate plan, plan, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that ability to pivot is important. Extremely important, extremely important. And also just being willing to learn skills that you didn't expect to learn along the way, right? Like yeah, we, we yeah. learn a lot in school and a lot of it is applicable, right? But there are certain opportunities that just come around that you can't, you don't get in school, right? These life opportunities, you know, and saying yes to those has been my key to success. And I definitely encourage young people, new graduates, older people say yes to those new experiences. Yeah. Serendipity is, is a beautiful thing, whether it's in a relationship or in a career, right? So isn't it, I love serendipitous moments. I live for them. I literally live for them. Absolutely. So you mentioned career. Let's talk a little bit about yours. I was exhausted introducing you. There's a lot. (laughs) So you're from Michigan, right? Yes. All right. So Michigan state or university of Michigan fan. Um, well, I'm Eastern Michigan University, so okay. neither. <laughs> okay, so there you go. <laughs> yes, neither. Uh, go Eagles. You, yeah, yeah. there you go. There you go. How did you get started in cooking then? It was really born out of necessity. First, first, let me say, I've always enjoyed cooking, and I come from a family of excellent cooks. I'm not the best cook in the family. I say this all the time. I'm not the best cook in the family. I'm just the only one who pursued it professionally. But I've always enjoyed cooking with my family members. It's just something that we've always enjoyed doing together. We're a little competitive with it. So when the recession hit in the early 2000s, I was a social worker and the agency I was working for lost their funding. And I was 
put in a place. Yeah, yeah, I was at a crossroads. Yeah. I was put in a place where I had to decide what my next move would be. But my very first job when I was 15 years old, I was a server at a, a restaurant. The brand is um, it's a Michigan based brand called Olga's Kitchen. A lot of people are familiar with it. OK, so I started my very first job was in hospitality, you know, being a server. I And I enjoyed it. I mean, of course, I enjoy bringing home cash tips every day, but I enjoy seeing people's satisfaction with their food when it's done right. You know, being satisfied with good service. Like I cared a lot about those things. And I think there's a crossover between that sort of caring and the kind of caring that's required in social work. So I think it was pretty much a no brainer that you know, the, the two kind of ended up going hand in hand later on in life, but yeah, a good fit. A good fit. Yeah. Feels but like it was, a good fit. It, it is a good fit and it, and it makes sense. Right. So it was pretty much just losing my job, you know, and figuring out what to do next. And I was still working in hospitality. I was a hostess for um, Darden Corporation, which is Olive Garden and a host of other restaurants. Yeah, yeah. I went to that job, which was kind of my part-time job. And I was like, Hey, I need some more work. Do you have more hours? And I just kind of flung into the hospitality full time, you know, naturally and and happily, actually. I love that job, you know, so doing more was great. A perfect example of of being able to pivot, right? Yes. Um, when things change. A lot of guests that we talk to point to, rather than food icons, they point to a nana or you know, a mother or a father who influenced them in the kitchen. You mentioned family already, so is there a particular icon that was really kind of a sort of a mentor or an inspiration to you? Or was it all family sort of like, wow, my family really cooks well, so I've got to cook pretty well as well? <laughs> well, I would say my grandmother was probably the original icon for me, right? But she had three sisters, well, two sisters and a brother. And their respective children and grandchildren enjoyed cooking with them as well, right? It was just kind of like our thing. But I spent a lot of time with my grandmother as a young person. I grew up in a single parent home. Mm -hmm. And so my grandmother was a huge support for my mother uh, while she put me through private school and all these great things. So we had to spend a lot of time together and uh, I would be there with her cooking, you know, helping in the kitchen and just talking. We really just enjoyed each other's company and and learning. Yeah. And learning. Yeah. You know, and during the holidays, I don't know how familiar you are with um, being able to be in in the realm of adult conversation. Like you couldn't just be a child sitting around listening to adults talk. OK, <laughs> you had to have a job, right? You had to be being busy, you know, and so prep work is what we call it in the culinary industry was the job of the child who wanted to be in the midst of the adults. And so my job became picking the greens, shelling the peas, washing the vegetables, you know? So if I wanted to be around, I had to be busy. And so that was pretty much how it started, you know? And once I got to, I got the green light to move on from washing and prepping vegetables. I'd ask, can I, can I make that? Or can I start this? And, you know, so I, over the years, my responsibilities will graduate, you know? That's such a beautiful story. And, and, and my mind immediately goes to respect for the craft, right? So yes, respect for the kitchen, respect for the food that you're working with, respect for your role mm-hmm. in the greater picture, right? And yes, it, it's almost like it happens subliminally, right? Mm-hmm. In, in, yes. in your home and many homes like yours, right? I mm-hmm. love that. Similar for me. Similar for me. There was just kind of an expectation. It's like you're going to scrape the floor in the bakery, 
before you actually can put something together on yeah. the table in the bakery, right? Did I read this correctly? I, I want to talk about your culinary education and how that sort of evolved at CIA and all that. But did I read this correctly, that you have a master's degree in the entertainment business? I do. I do. <laughs> I love that. I want one of those. Mm -hmm. So yeah. is that after culinary school or? It was. Yes. I actually um, graduated from the Culinary Academy of New York. Oh, a lot okay. of people get it mixed up with CIA, but it's, okay, it's, it's it. a Culinary Academy of New York. They later became Star Career Academy, but I graduated from there in 2010. I got my degree in entertainment business in 2013 because I interned at the Food Network and realized that I wanted to get into food media more than I wanted to be in a commercial kitchen, if you will, you know, although I did maintain those jobs at the time, but culinary media, it grabbed my heart, Kirk. That it was snatched you. my heart. Yeah. 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 So how does someone get an internship at the Food Network, particularly around that time when the Food Network was just taking off and almost yeah. seemed like an exclusive club, right? It was very much. I mean, as fate would have it, one of a former student had a relationship with um, an organization called the Black Culinary Alliance, the BCA. The founder of the BCA is Alex Askew. And good friend he, of mine. Good friend of mine. Yeah. I love Alex. Yeah. Alex wow. is great. Wow. And yeah, and he he formed a relationship with some executives at the Food Network and created this relationship between this very small trade school and the Food Network. It was serendipitous. Like I never wow. yeah. it wasn't even an option when I enrolled, you know, and I, I didn't care, you know. Uh, but yeah, he formed that relationship. And I think I was the third person to intern at the Food Network from the Culinary Academy of New That's York. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. I'm going to ping Alex today. It's been too long. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. So you're, you're very sought after in this, in this space, <laughs> right? Uh, food styling. I want to talk about that. Culinary TV producing, which I'm sure is a whole different sort of world, right? You've spent a lot of time behind the camera <laughs> as well as in front of the camera as a host and on on-air personality. Escoffier's got this beautiful relationship with America's Test Kitchen. And mm -hmm. I love the walk-in, your podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Over the years, I can't, I can't recall how many times you went to the walk-in to have an, a conversation with an employee. That's just where you went, right? Yeah. First, first yeah. of all, you were hot, right? And sweating. Yes. And, you, and you needed a private place. Meet me in the walk-in, right? Meet me we're, in the walk-in, yeah. Gonna, we're going to talk through it. And uh, so one of my, I, I was listening to a few of the podcasts you've done, and and one of my favorite is Kristen Kish, who was uh, uh, or is a graduate of a school in Chicago that I ran for a while. And um, great person, great chef, yes. great speaker. She She addressed our students as well. And I love that she mentioned in the podcast, and I didn't prep you for this, so I'm going to catch you off guard. But here's what she said. She said that she could, quote, convince anyone that she could run their kitchen, end, end quote. And what I loved about that is that it sort of reminds me a little bit of me when I give advice sometimes to students who feel like, you know, boy, I'm not going to apply for that job. I don't think I'm worthy. I don't think I'm ready. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I like to tell students that I've never applied for a job that I was qualified for. Yes. I just figured I'd work it out, right? Mm -hmm. I would I would try my hardest. Do you have a little bit of that in you as well? 
I have a lot of that. A lot. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's been like the whole crux of my career. I could do that. Yeah. 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 Seeing yeah. something and just having a desire to want to do it and excel at it. And also, you know, being a part of a really good network of people who have done that work and not being afraid to tap into the network. Right. Like I don't ever have to actually have done it if I can find someone who's willing to teach me or support me, mentor me, guide me. Right. Like I can figure it out. If there's food involved, I know food. Yeah. <laughs> I got that. You're right? comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, so was, was building a great reputation for yourself serendipitous? Or was there a recipe for that? Was that the goal when you went to the Food Network? It was a hybrid of both, I think. Like, mm-hmm. I definitely wanted to go in and do my best, you know, as because, you know, I'm a young, I, at the time I was a young Black woman and I wanted to, I knew that I would be representing future young Black women who would come behind me. And I wanted to not only pave a proper path, but also leave the best impression. So a part of it was intentional, but the other part was merely just being absorbed in the environment, right? Like the Food Network. To this day, I call it the military of internships, right? Okay. Because uh, <laughs> it's very regimented, like they're, you know, the day I goes imagine. a certain kind of way, right? So, sure. yeah, you know, so like really falling full into that experience and and wanting to to build this relationship with the Food Network that would go beyond my internship. It was both. It was definitely a hybrid of serendipity and intention. So when, as that all translates mm-hmm. into you producing shows mm-hmm. down the road, so obviously just like when you were cooking in your family's kitchen, there <laughs> you developed this respect for the craft. Is there a secret sauce to producing shows? Is Is there you know, kind of the Holy Trinity to abide by, or is it all situational? That's a good question. It's really all situational. No two experiences in culinary media are alike, really, right? Like even if you're working on the same show, right? Like let's say you, you work on two seasons of Chopped, the contestants are different, the food is different, right? Like the format itself, is the same. And I think to be a good culinary producer, you kind of have to find your your formula. But essentially, it requires like a lot of organizational skills, very strong leadership skills, right? Because you are running the show and anything that goes well or wrong, you know, it's It's definitely it's on you. Right. So you have to be you have to be firm in your convictions, you know, like be willing to make a decision no matter how it turns out, right? Sure. Yeah. And do your best, as you mentioned. And do your, do your best, yeah. Those three little words are very, very powerful. And to be honest, I have to do a better job of conveying that to our students who get frustrated when when their brioche doesn't come through or their mm-hmm. souffle falls, right? All we're really ever asking is just that you do your best, that you do your best, and everything yes. else will, will fall in the line. I, I, I love those words. Speaking of doing your best, I think this whole concept of food styling is kind of a secret. People, everyone thinks that they're a food stylist, right? Yeah. And until <laughs> until I actually met a food stylist <laughs> who showed up in the kitchen with all this equipment and all these tools and these little ladders that, you know, potatoes were going to be piped down so that they would stand up high at the back of the plate. And, and I'm like, wow. Is it that complicated? Is it, or is it that fascinating? I should say to style food. 
It is both complicated and fascinating. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think one of the things that I like to make very clear about food styling is that it can be inclusive of plating food, but it is not the same, right? Like I'm an excellent food stylist. At plating, not my strong suit. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's just a, it's a very different art. Both of them are art, right? They definitely are art forms. Um, Absolutely. But food, food styling. I think I would say food styling is more for selling food, and plating is more for presentation. Does that make sense? It, it it does. And the whole idea of plating food too is that while you're plating one, you're thinking of the 65 additional that you're going to be plating right after. Yes. And they all have to look the same and the vegetables have to be cooked through and mm-hmm. so on and so forth, right? It, would you say that food styling is often through the lens of the observer? Yeah. So you're you're almost having to think of what does this look like to, for my client and for yes. my client's clients? Always, always. Yeah, sure. It seems stressful. (laughs) It's really not, you know, like, I mean, we all have a little pressure to perform, you know, our jobs well, right? Like that just exists. But if you go into every project being very clear about what your goals are, like Mm -hmm. what you're selling and to whom you're selling, it actually makes your job so much easier. You know, like if I know that this food that I'm styling is to appeal to 10 year olds, you know, yeah, it's a completely different approach. Right. So just knowing your client, knowing who your client's client is and being prepared, doing some research before you ever go on a shoot to make sure that you can actually deliver. I was speaking with someone a few months ago and um, he's been in the food business and tech business and all of that. And we asked, you know, what, what's your greatest advice for any entrepreneur? And his simple advice was like your customer, like your client, try your hardest, just like with us, like your students, right? Yeah. They're the client and that's half the battle, right? Don't get that's upset true. when somebody sends some food back, right? It's yeah, no, just, no. just move on. Yeah. So, so let's, let's get a little personal. I will too. You're a cancer survivor, ovarian yes. cancer survivor. You're passionate about advocating for those who are enduring a similar path. Mm-hmm. Um, and while a little bit different, I, I've mentioned to you that I, I'm a kidney transplant recipient. Mm-hmm. Um, this coming February, it'll be 41 years wow. uh, that I received a kidney from my father, who's 85 and still going strong. So that uh, wow, that's amazing. That keeps I love me that. keeps me excited. I just know that I changed my approach to living somewhat serendipitously. To use that beautiful word again, I was young. You know, my mother made it real clear that there was going to be no special anything for me. I was going to work hard and kidney transplant was successful and off you go. Right. So nobody's feeling sorry for anybody. And and it's been a good message to share with students and children about doing their best and trying Mm -hmm. hard and, and overcoming obstacles. Are you open to talking a little bit about that, that time in your life and, and, and how you like to give back and, and share your story with others around that? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm actually what one would consider medically like a chronic ovarian cancer um, survivor. So odds are I'll be, you know, dealing with it to some degree for whoever, who knows how long. But I like to refer, refer to myself as a thriver. I'm an ovarian cancer thriver. 
I was diagnosed in my late 30s, almost immediately after getting uh, hired at America's Test Kitchen, ironically enough. It was a, a very difficult intro to the experience because I was new to Boston. I didn't have any friends or family here. So my coworkers immediately stepped in. And um, I mean, they're my friends and family, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went through treatments. Um, I'm currently going through treatments and it is challenging, you know, like some days are great and I feel like I can, you know, power through and some days are extremely challenging. This morning was very challenging. I had a very emotional morning, you know, Um, feeling frustrated because I couldn't move as fast as I wanted to or do as much as I wanted to. But then there are days where I can do all the things you know, a few days after treatment, I can do all the things. I'm moving at a great pace. I'm feeling 100%. And, you know, life is good. I mean, life is good overall. But I think the one thing that ovarian cancer has taught me is that there's no day without challenges, right? You, They're not always physical, right? It's just and you find a way to overcome. Yeah, and- you find a way. And if you don't, it's okay. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. if if today is not the day of overcoming, if today is the day of going to bed at seven o'clock with some chocolate and watching a movie, that's, that's okay, okay too. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. You know, it's you're part inside. of thriving, right? It yeah. is. It is yeah. being very honest with yourself. You know, mirroring. You know, with yourself about what you need at the time you need it. You know, like sometimes I have to say no to projects that I really want to do because the timing might not be right. You know, or I don't feel so great, but There are so many other things that come my way that I never feel like I'm losing. Right. Like so whenever you're being honest or or true to yourself about what you need, even when you have to sacrifice something, something better always comes along. Always. So beautifully said. Did did and does food play a role in in thriving? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it it definitely does. I'm definitely uh, more particular about the foods that I eat when I'm, when I'm in an emotional space, you know, because it's very easy to just kind of consume whatever's there. When I'm feeling my most vulnerable is when I try to eat um, the healthiest, right? Cause um, I'm sure that it will, you know, it will make me, I won't, it won't be a decision that I regret afterwards. You know, I try to save all my junk food eating for when I feel spectacular. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's a good way to approach food and life, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of life, you 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 founded She Chef primarily yes. to mentor women chefs, women chefs mm-hmm. of color. Was this something that you saw almost immediately? I, I think you alluded to this earlier as you entered the industry. Was this support for women chefs and women of color missing? Yeah, it definitely was missing or scant at best, but it really came about because after I finished my interim of uh, interning at the Food Network, it was each of our responsibility to groom the next person who would come behind us. Oh, that was a formal sort of process? Yeah, it was kind of like, who do you think, you know, from your peers, you know, like who is exemplary, good attendance and this and that. And so... Not only did I groom the next person, but I kept grooming people, right? Like I kept helping the next person groom people. It kind of just became a thing. But I did notice once I got out into the workforce that 
Although I went to school with a lot of black and brown people, I wasn't seeing that represented in certain kitchens. You know, I worked in a lot of high end kitchens in New York City, and I don't I don't think that really dawned on me until later in the game. But I worked in some really high end kitchens and I didn't see a lot of black, black and brown people, especially in leadership positions. Right. So it just kind of got me interested in as to why I wasn't seeing that. And so I went back to my school and started working with the career services department to find out what students were doing after graduation, basically tracking, you know, like seeing sure. yeah. why why they weren't still in the field if they if they were not. And if they were, what were some of the challenges that they were facing? And a lot of them were, you know, things like childcare or non-traditional work hours or, you know, some of the things that any of us could face in the culinary industry, right? And so I just wanted to be a support so that they could continue to do the work that they love to do and, and figure out how how could I make that doable? Like, could I be a babysitter sometimes? Could I take the train with you when you have to be at work at 5 a.m. in the middle of the scary Manhattan nights? You know, sure. what could we do to be a support? And that's really how She Chef came about. It, it, there was no intention to actually become an organization. It was really just my desire to see uh, people doing the work that they love. Walking and not the having walk. To yeah. yeah. Just yeah. love that. Yeah. Uh, what, what advice, Chef, would you would you give to other women of color or or women in our industry who are who are trying to maybe they're you you 20 years ago they're they're trying mm-hmm. to break into this industry and in one way or another what what's some of the most simple advice that you could offer don't take no for an answer <laughs> that's good advice for me too <laughs> yeah i never i never take i mean anyone will tell you i never take no for an answer no for me means maybe later <laughs> it means come back in six months it means anything but no i never take no for an answer and um i think it's been that resilience that persistence that has really gotten me far, you know, like I keep trying. You really can't knock me down. I think that's why I'm a cancer thriver. Cause like yeah. you can't, I, I, you know, you can't knock me down easy. It takes a lot. You don't take no for an answer. No, I, no. I love that. Well, we've come to the end of our time. You're, you're an absolutely beautiful person. I just love, love chatting with you. Such great Thank advice. You, the The name of our podcast is the ultimate dish. And so this is my favorite part of the, of the chat because we get to ask the chef, what is the ultimate dish? Wow. Okay. The ultimate dish is one, it's family style, right? It's one that you can share with the people that you love. The ultimate dish is a dish that you can learn something about someone from by tasting and talking. Oh, I like that perspective. Yeah. The ultimate dish is a dish that leads to the next dish, right? Like when you get up from the table, you're already making plans to get together for that same experience another time in the future. And it's not because you're still hungry. No, because you're motivated for the next. I love that. Yes. I love that. No one has said that. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Chef, thank you so much for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. And hi to Remy. Remy was beautifully behaved. Oh, she's asleep right now. There you go. I I do that to people. Yeah. I (laughs) I put people to sleep. 
So thank you again. We appreciate your time so much. Thank you for having me. All the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ultimate Dish Podcast brought to you by Augusta Escoffier School of Culinary Arts. Visit escoffier.edu forward slash podcast, where you'll find any of the materials mentioned during the podcast, including notes, links, and other resources. You can also browse other episodes and subscribe. Thank you.